You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Welcome to MLB.com Extras Braves Edition. MLB.com's Mark Feinsand recently sat down with Braves General Manager John Coppolella. They discussed the ongoing rebuild of the Braves, the signing of Bartolo Colon, and the time he spent with George Steinbrenner earlier in his career. Here's Mark. So much to your parents' dismay, you turned down a six-figure job uh, with Intel when you graduated college, took an $18,000 internship with the Yankees instead. Was that a leap of faith for you, or did you figure that the Intel-like job was always going to be there for you? It was something where I felt like you only get one life, and I felt that that Intel-type job would always be there. It was something where I didn't want to wake up at 45 years old and think, what if I took that job with the Yankees when I was 21? What could have happened? Uh, some people have said that you caught George Steinbrenner's eye as a 21-year-old intern. It's quite an introduction to professional baseball, isn't it? Yeah, he was a big fan of um, just of uh, football. The fact that I went to college at Notre Dame, I think, was a big thing for him. He was great. Um, you know, it was something he wanted to win so bad he would spend whatever it took to win and you know the seven years I was there we won seven tiles went to World Series three times I mean I probably should have won all three of them so you know it was a really fun time and just to have a chance to work for somebody that special means a great deal to me. We've heard so many crazy stories from people about working for Steinbrenner what was it like working for him at that time? He was tough, but the stories you don't hear are the stories of how he helped out many people. He would not advertise those stories. He would give money to charities. He'd help people who were downtrodden. This was a good man. Did he get frustrated at times? Yes. But at the heart of it, this was a good man who cared a great deal about building the best team in baseball, about fans of the team, about doing the right thing. You, uh, you did a lot of statistical analysis part of your job, but then you began scouting in the Florida State League as well. How much of a learning curve was there scouting? It was a huge learning curve. I got cut from my team in high school. Um, Damon Oppenheimer and I went out to lunch early in 2003. He had just been named vice president of scouting. I was named um, assistant director of pro scouting, which was basically his right-hand man. And He said to me, I want to learn more about analytics and I want to teach you about scouting. And it was a great marriage. Um, Damon is a great mentor and friend, and he was somebody that really helped me, um, gave me Florida State League coverage, gave me uh, big league coverage, really helped me grow. And, you know, it's um, something for which, you know, that I won't ever forget. Gordon Blakely was also a member of the Yankees front office at the time. He's with you now in Atlanta. What kind of an influence has he been on you? Gordon's been a huge, huge influence on me. Gordon was a lot like uh, Damon in that he always gave me a chance to scout. He'd always want to talk the game. Gordy, there were so many things I learned from him because he would not get beaten on a player. If he wanted to sign a player, he'd find a way. And he was such a great scout. He really understands how teams work. And what I mean by that is 
teams in the front office as well as teams on the field. Gorin is very sharp, uh, has signed more impact players than probably any scout in the game. And we're very fortunate having him here. He's had a huge influence on me. As important as Damon and Gordon have been, neither of them are in the Hall of Fame. John Scherholtz is. What did you learn most working under John as long as he did? John is the greatest GM ever. It's something where um, he just has a way about him, very sharp, very caring. Um, he has a great way of making everybody feel like they're part of the process while we all know at the end that it's him making the final call or it was him making the final call. John had great instincts, great experience. He's a great person just to be around. I mean, if you think about class, uh, dignity, Hall of Famer, John Scherholz. This guy, 14 straight tiles won't ever be done again. And he kept reinventing himself. You know, I mean, it's just a special guy in the way he treats people, the way he leads teams. This guy could have been uh, president of IBM, you know, and he just had that um, way about it that was really, really special. You guys finished season 20 and 10 last year, 12 year final 14. Uh, did that leave you with a sense of excitement heading into 2017? Yeah, there was, uh, you know, we feel like we're on the right track. And let me just kind of stop quick. You know, we said great things about John Scherholz, Gordon Blakely, uh, Damn Knock. I want to say some stuff real quick about John Hart. John Hart has been the absolute best mentor I've had. We want to, I'm going to talk about guys that lead, guys that get it, guys that understand players. This guy is the best I've ever been around. This guy is as sharp as a razor, cares, works, smart, I mean, um, aggressive, all of it. And he's he has helped me out so much. He has taught me so many things on the field, off the field. Uh, he is, I mean, you know, he is for me somebody. If you think about his tree, he's got 10 or 12 guys that work for him that have, um, you know, that have turned into be future, uh, future GMs. And it's something where, you know, you have a case for him to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, I mean, just where he has built back now three teams. You talk about Cleveland, Texas, Atlanta. And this guy's done a lot of things in the game. He was a former player, uh, a manager. He's been in the front office. But really, if you think about all the young people that he's helped out, whether, you know, uh, Mark Shapiro, John Daniels, Neil Huntington, Chris Antonetti, Mike Chernoff, uh, Dan Dan O'Dowd. I mean, you can go through the list. I mean, uh, Paul D. Podesta. I mean, there's there are literally 10 to 12 people that he's had a huge influence on, and you can see why he helped those people because he is a great leader. He gives them freedoms. He really understands. For him, the game is about the players, and he wants to help you get the best players. And he's been such a huge help to me. I would not be here without John Hart. Uh, Twins and season. Way you guys so, yeah, so, so, you know, we are going through all this pain, and I'll kind of backtrack once more. Um, you know, just with John Hart, John Trolls, Terry McGurk, these three men, we made a vow that we were going to go through the pain, we're going to make it short lived, we're going to try like hell not to lose 100 games, and try to build up the best farm system that we could. And 
it was really tough. I mean, it's something where seeing us go from 29th to 1 in two years has never been done. And we want to stay at 1 for a long time. That's a source of pride for us. But they made a vow, and it got dark sometimes. I mean, we started out 0-9, 9-28. Even at that record, we knew we were a little bit better than 9-28. and 28. So as the season went on, the big changes for us, the trade of Matt Kemp, the call-up of Dansby Swanson. We felt at the end of the year like we were a team that was playing really well. The thing we lacked was starting pitching. We went 20-10 and 10 with basically Julio Tehran, Mike Fulton Evans. We still had three huge holes that we needed to get filled. And that's what we were able to do this offseason. We got three one-year guys, um, R.A. Dickey, Bartolo Colon, Jaime Garcia, that we feel will give us a chance to win every night. How challenging is it to restock that farm system? I mean, every, every team in baseball is trying to get their farm system up where, you know, towards the top of the rankings. How, how difficult is it to actually do it? Very, very tough. It's something where we have made creative trades, we, you know, trading for draft picks, trading for foreign bonus pool slots, getting out in that foreign market, um, trades where we took on bad contracts so we could get a first round pick, trades where we trade off bad contracts by having them um, attached to other players. All of that comes through John Hart. It's when there's a thought brought up to him, it's not like, no, it's, okay, why don't we chew on this as a group? Why don't we try and figure this out and see where it goes? And then as we dig deeper, it's like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. I will give you a real good example. Um, Justin Upton, we have him for one year, 14.5 million. So you talked about we finished 24, or we finished 2016, 20, and 10. We finished 2014, 27, and 40. So... We're there, and we see Washington, we see the Mets, and we're like, how are we going to beat this team? Even if we keep Upton, Hayward, all these guys, we still finish 27-40 with guys like Hayward, Upton, Gaddis, Simmons, Kimbrell. It wasn't going to work. We could try and hope and pray that we end up with, like, 83 wins and we have a um, season over 500 and we can high-five and finish in third place. Or we could tear it down try to get it built back up. So, had we kept Justin Upton, maybe we get draft pick 32 for right? Instead, what we did is we traded Justin Upton for four players, none of whom were the big-name guy. Uh, the key guy in that deal was Max Fried. He was out for the year, Tommy John surgery. If he were healthy, would he have been somebody that we could have gotten? We don't know. Um, but we got in that deal, Jace Peterson has played second base for us for the past two years. We got um, Dustin Peterson, who was our minor league hitter of the year, is a really good looking young hitter with a bright future. Uh, we got Malik Smith, who we flipped for um, Luis Gohara, who's a really good young power lefty starter. And we got Max Free. So what we also got was 14.5 million payroll flexibility. We used 10 of that in a deal with Arizona for uh, Tuki Tucson. So what it breaks down to is the Braves save 4.5 million. They get for one year of Justin Upton. The Braves save 4.5 million, and we get six years of Jace Peterson, Dustin Peterson, Luis Gohara, Tuki Tucson, and Max Free. 
So those are the kind of trades where maybe when you first see it, you're kind of like, what are these guys doing? But when you see it line up, the fact that we're willing to take guys who are hurt far away, we want to be patient. We want to get the highest upside player. It doesn't matter to us who the safe guy is. Safe is going to get us third and fourth place. We, we are in a smaller market than teams like Washington, teams like the Mets. Safe, Philly, Safe is going to get us fourth place is where Safe's going to get us. So we took risks. We bet on upside. We had great scouts in the room helping us make these calls. And it all starts with John Hart. When you, uh, oh, at the new ballpark opening this year, I know you said you have to be patient, but was there any pressure to try to get things, you know, turned around or, or things better by the time the new park opens? When you have a new park open, you want to win. I mean, everybody wants to win. You don't want to have a, you know, bad year where the fans see this great park and then they see a really bad team on the field. That being said, you know, we want to win every year. I mean, starting out 0-9 and 9-28 isn't fun. I mean, people can talk about we will do a rebuild. You ask other GMs who have gone through this the way I have, it is painful. There are nights where you're sick to your stomach. There's mornings where you don't want to go on the phone or go do any kind of interview. You fire your friends. You know, I mean, firing Freddie was not fun. I mean, all this stuff. It sucks. Rebuilding sucks. I don't want to rebuild. We want to create a foundation here to where we don't have to ever rebuild. We are out on windows where we could be good for, you know, the next two or three years, but then we will suck for the next five or six. We want waves. We want waves of young players coming. The way that John Charles Bobby Cox had at the Braves in the 1990s to where there was always someone else there. We ran out of players in 2014. Part of the reason why we finished 27 and 40, we didn't have any good young players to call. Part of the reason why we finished 27 and 40 is that the trade deadline, when we tried to trade for players, nobody liked anybody in our farm system. So that formula isn't going to work. Taking the safe college player, trading away good young upside players, we're out on that. That isn't going to work. That isn't going to get us to, to like where we are. I don't care if we have a winning season. I don't care about any of it. I care about World Series championships. I mean, the, think about this. The Braves haven't won a playoff series. One series in 16 years. What are we doing? I don't care for 500. I want to win playoff series. I want to win championships. All of us want to do that. In doing my research for this interview, I pulled out a quote you said. I don't care about winning seasons. I care about championships. Exactly. Is that something you learned working Yes. You know what? It would be, even if you were in the World Series and lost, it was still a failure. And you know what? If you don't have that mindset, why are you even playing? Why are you in this? If you don't want to win the World Series, why are you even showing up at work? What is your goal? Are you there just to like make money or have some uh, fancy job tile with a cool workplace? No. Come to win. You play everything to win. I want to win. John Hart wants to win. John Sherholz, Terry, all these guys want to win. And we haven't won a playoff series in 16 years, so we still have a lot of work to do. You need to find three Hall of Fame starting pitchers, and you'll be good to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just that easy, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that would be great. Despite the way the Super Bowl ended, the Falcons generated a lot of excitement in Atlanta with their, with their run to the Super Bowl. 
Is there a competition of sorts for the attention of Atlanta sports fans right now? You know what? It seems like it's a really good thing because it gets fans having a great interest in sports. I was crushed to see the way that game ended. Um, my son, who's eight, was crying. He was really, really <laughs> upset. He was not happy at all. And, uh, you know, they've been really good to us, Falcons, and, you know, we were rooting hard for them. We think that Atlanta can be a great sports city. So the more success the Falcons, the Hawks, us, that we all have, the barrel will be for our fans, and it'll create a really good environment. And more competition between who has the better new stadium, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not really that. I mean, it'll be They're really cool. They're very different, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be really cool for our fans and for their fans, which there's a lot of, um, you know, um, kind of um, overlap obviously, where, you know, just to get a great experience with both teams. If you're enjoying this Mark Feinstein interview, make sure you check out all the great conversations featured in the MLB.com Newsmakers podcast. You'll hear Mark and other MLB.com reporters chat with baseball's brightest stars of today and the past, as well as the game's best broadcasters and writers. You can download MLB.com Newsmakers today on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts by searching Newsmakers. Now, back to Mark Feinsand. 18 months ago, you said, quote, we're not tanking. There's a method to this madness. Judge our trades in two to three years, not now. You're 18 months removed. How do you judge those trades? Did they work out? Have they worked out the way that you had, I mean, you talked about it a little bit, but how long do you usually wait to judge a trade? Yeah, I mean, we don't want to sound cocky, but, you know, you're in the game. See what we've done. We feel pretty good about where it's headed in such a short period of time. We don't have all the answers. We've still got a long way to go. But it's real easy to kick people when they're down, when they're 0-9, when things aren't going right. That's when you find out who are your true friends, who are the people that care about you and that are going to still stay objective. I mean, not even friends, really. It's just kind of, you know, are there people that are going to try and feed on the dead carcass? Or are they going to say, all right, look, you know, it took the Cubs five years. It took Houston seven years. It took the Royals nine years. It took the Pirates 20 years. Just let them have a little time and let's see before we pass judgment and say that nobody knows what they're doing and this is the worst thing ever. Again, we haven't won a playoff series in 16 years. What are we chasing after here? Right. Uh, you spent a long time in lower-level baseball jobs. Is, is a front office executive's career path kind of similar to that of a baseball player, going through the minors until you sort of get to where you want to be? It would be that way, except you've got a lot less talent. Um, no, it's something where uh, what these players go through is really hard. I don't think that's anything like what these players go through. You know, the fact they don't get paid much early, uh, pressures they face. I mean, just every day, I don't think it's a good comp. You made $18,000 your first year. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, that being said, you know, I'm just, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's, I don't think I'm like a player at right. all. You know, it's a very different path. How have your views or philosophies towards the game changed at all, if any, since the start of your career to now? Sure. When I first started out, I was probably 90% analytics, 10% scouting. I didn't really know much about scouting. I had not scouted um, as I got more into scouting through guys like Gordon, Damon, um, 
I probably swung the other way, where it's probably 70% scouting, 30% analytics. Right now, for me personally, I'm probably 65% scouting, 35% analytics. I feel like we're so heavy analytics that there's value to be found through scouting because it's somewhat undervalued. You've seen every team in baseball at this point have an analytics department. Uh, what do you think is going to be the next new wave as teams look to try to gain another competitive advantage? Probably health. Probably, you know, player uh, recovery. Where if there's ways that you can, you know, like I've saw there's a new um, Tommy John deal where you don't have the surgery, but you do like six or seven months of rehab. Somebody who can figure out how to keep pitching arms healthy is going to have a huge edge, and they are going to make a lot of money. Now, is that something I was talking to, uh, gosh, I've done so many of these, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Jeff Luno who said if a team figures that out, Tommy John, how to keep a pitcher's arm healthy, right. be a huge competitive advantage, but there's the hope that that would be something that would ultimately be shared industry-wide because injuries are no good for the game, period. Do you think the industry needs to figure that out together, or do you think teams are going to try to do it themselves and then use that to their own advantage? It would behoove the industry to try to figure out on their own to work as a team with all 30 teams to try to get the answer. That being said, even if there is one team with the right answer, this isn't a situation where guys stay with teams for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. I mean, guys jump teams a lot. Um, so word will spread. Guys will share that. If, you know, you see with teams like uh, Yankees when I was here, a lot of guys left for jobs. Red Sox, Cubs, all of this. Teams that build really good uh, farm systems, that build really good winning teams that have uh, sustained levels of success, other owners are going to try and find the people that are in charge of that. And it's going to be a situation where, uh, you know, they'll move on to other teams. So I think that it will get shared eventually. I just think it'll take more time if it's on a team-by-team basis rather than all 30 teams working in unison to try and find the answer. Analytics have made their way to fans now as well. Uh, MLB StatCast has made some of these metrics more public over the past couple of years. Do you think it's changed the way that fans look at the game? Probably. I don't know if it's good or bad. You know, I mean, I was always real good with numbers. I mean, you know, when I was three, I was doing, you know, like ninth grade math, basically. But when I watched the game... I love the game, you know, I, I mean, it's great that guys can, you know, take the route that's 78% efficient, that's fine. I just like to watch a guy make the play. I just like to watch the game. So, so yeah, you know, I mean, if that's what our fans like, great. If they just like to watch the game too, I'm not saying my way's right or their way's wrong or anything. I, I just always love the way the game was played. One of your notable offseason acquisitions was a 43-year-old starting pitcher. What most attracted you to Bartolo Colon? Um, innings, somebody that you could trust, great teammate. Um, John Hart had a long history with him, signed him 28 years ago or sort of 25 years ago. John knows who this person is. I've seen him firsthand as he beat us Matt's year after year. Um, he's a great teammate, somebody in conference, and he has a chance. He's 13 wins away from the DR record for starting pitchers, 16 away from the 
Latin record for starting pitchers. Say that he can hang in there for two or three more years, he has a shot at the Hall of Fame. And this is a special guy, and guys just love having him on the team, and there's a lot of good things. He will help us. He will help our young guys in two ways. One, he will help teach them about the game. If I'm a young Braves pitcher, and I see this guy at 43 years old, what I'm saying to myself is, how do I do what he's doing? Why is he still in the game at 43? He must be doing a lot of things right. Let me find out what. Number, oh, sorry. Um, number two, it will let us push guys back. We don't have to force feed stars. I mean, we've started uh, Fausto Carmona three times last year. I mean, names of players who have come through, it's embarrassing for Braves fans. It is for us to, you know, it just, it is what it is. It, that's where we were. We... We chose for that period of two years to put our money into our young players knowing that there would be a payoff. So you go and, you know, take the beating. You try to give opportunities to whomever was there. But the time for opportunities, the time to try out everything is past. It's over. Before the GM meetings, you said your top three priorities this winter were starting pitching, starting pitching, and starting pitching. You mentioned Cologne, you mentioned Garcia, you mentioned Dickey. Do you feel good about the state of your staff at the end of the season? Yeah, check, check, check. I mean, you know, if if you read my quotes, you see I'm a pretty transparent guy. I'm not lying, I'm not playing games. I'm pretty simple. We've tried to build the best farm system ever. We had a team that was stuck in the middle, and we've tried to get to where we can win playoff series, win, uh, win World Series. You know, look, like there isn't any kind of a trick here. We just want to get better players, and that's all we're trying to do. Julio Tehran has been a solid starter for the last four years. He's turned 26 this offseason. How much better do you think he can still get? I mean, it seems like he gets better every year. You know, the fact he's 26, it feels like he's 30 or 35 because he was up at such a young age. He's a great pitcher, a great person, a great leader. He has a chance to be a frontline starter for a long time. Freddie Freeman was right about that same age as well, set a career high last year with 34 homers, 11 more than he had ever had. Do you think this is just a case of a guy coming into his prime right now? There are a few things. First, Freddie Freeman, I think, may be the best pure hitter in the game. If you just, I mean, this guy is a fabulous hitter. Second thing is, look at some of the guys we had hitting fourth after Freddie Freeman. I mean, those guys that didn't hit fourth uh, back when they were in uh, Little League. I mean, it was absolutely embarrassing. Freddie wouldn't ever see a strike. So when we made the trade and got Matt Kemp, who has been great, had a great year for us, he had 35 homers, 39 doubles, 108 runs bad in, and did it under the radar. I mean, this guy was awesome. When we got Matt Kemp, Freddie actually saw a few strikes, and we saw what happened. You said, well, you don't buy number one starters, you grow them. Where did you, have you always believed that? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, look, we aren't going to be the team that's going to give, you know, $200 million to a free agent pitcher. That would be, uh, look, I mean, whether I'm here for the next year, for the next 10 years, whatever, you want to leave the Braves in a better spot than when you got here, and you want to create something special. Getting into bad contracts, tying up future payroll flexibility, that is not the way we want to go. All these guys who are getting 200 million, they're on the wrong side of 30. They've thrown literally tens of thousands of uh, of uh, pitches already. Why would we 
want to go that way? Why do we want to flush money down the toilet? Uh, you were hired to be the GM in 37, I believe. Uh, one of many 30-somethings or some even 20-somethings who are getting these jobs. Why do you think the GM job has skewed towards younger guys in recent years? Well, there are a few things. Number one, I am the GM, but it's not just me. I mean, it's something I'm in touch every day. John Hart and I talk three or four times a day. I mean, I talk with all of our top scouts. I talk with our guys on the farm. I talk with our front office. It's not like I'm the guy running everything. I mean, I'm just a guy that talks with all the people that help us make the right choices. I mean, it is John Schultz who's talked about we and us, us and we. And that's the way that we do it here. I think that if you're a young guy and you've got energy and you know the people that you talk to each day and you feel good and you build bonds with them, that's what the job is. It's not like I feel like making a trade today for, you know, uh, so-and-so and I'm going to just go and do it. No, it's something where it's a team. I'm going to talk with John Hart. I'm going to talk with our group. And we as a group make the best choice. What impressed you most about Brian Snaker last year during the 124 games that prompted you to give a full-time job? The way that players responded to and played for him. I mean, we had known Snit for a long time. Snit is a brave, he's a winner, he's a grinder, he's been in his whole life. I mean, Snit was in the Brave system for, for four years. A great story about him. Uh, so we end up losing the 2013 NLDS. And, you know, it was a tough loss because we had Craig Kimbrell warming up in the pen, and we give up a two-run homer in the eighth inning. And there was no game following it. We just had to go home. So what do we do? We fired the third base coach. I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? Like, it was all his fault that we like, gave up that homer. So what did Snit do? Did he whine? No. Snit went down and said, I will do whatever you want me to do. Players are smart. Players see through BS. I think players saw that, you know, look, this is somebody that cares about the game, that cares about the Braves, that is going to treat us fairly, that really cares about us. And when we made the change with Freddie, Snit seemed like the perfect fit because the way our team was set up, a lot of the players on it had played for him already. Candidly, I didn't expect that we would play so well under him. Not that he wasn't going to be in the mix for the full-time job, but we played so well. He did such a great job with these players that it just seemed like the right fit. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, if you know, if there's something really good that's right in front of you, let it play out. Like we don't have to go hire the next great guy in the world when when we've got somebody sitting right there. I mean, you know, John Hart when he came in could have hired anybody. John gave me a chance. We want to give Brian a chance. Three of the coaches you guys interviewed during that search, Ron Washington, Terry Pendleton, Manny Perez, they're all on your coaching staff. How valuable is that much experience to a team that is as young as yours? Really, really valuable. I mean, it's something. Wash is a star. I mean, this guy is so, he's such a hard worker, so much fun. Players love him. Um, Eddie, uh, TP are both great guys. They're future managers, if not here somewhere. Um, guys that have played for the Braves, guys that care, that work hard, that get it. They're, they've seen a lot of things, they've learned. So 
it's a great value for us having those guys because they're really good. I think players know what they've done and what they're going to do, and that you know certainly puts us in a much better spot. Last question: What's your assessment of the state of the National League East? It's a really good NL East. I mean, it may be the toughest uh, division in the game. Washington's good every year. Washington's done a great job building it up. Uh, credit to their staff, Mike Rizzo and the whole group. I mean, they've got really good starting pitching. They've got the, uh, you know, they've got a great lineup. Um, and then Mets have really good starting pitching. I mean, they've got five guys that you could call a ace. They've got a really good player. Um, you know, they've got a really good lineup. They've got a strong bullpen. They have a good team. I'm going to credit Sandy and them. Uh, Marlins are a really good team. You know, they have a great everyday lineup. They probably have the best lineup of any team in the East. They don't have the same starting pitching, I don't think, as Washington Mets, but, but they're a really good team, too. And then, you know, with the Phillies and us, our teams are kind of in the same spot where if it all breaks right, it could be a really fun year. I mean, you know, we feel like, you know, it isn't about having a, a season that is winning. If we're close to the playoffs, I mean, that's where we, we want to go. Like, we want to get that first playoff win in 16, 17 years. You know what I mean? That's something that we want to do. Um, we think we have a chance to win each night. You know, is there that shutdown uh, number one ace future Cy Young guy? I don't know. Um, Julio could be. But for us, you know, we feel like we have a chance to win every night and we're growing with our young players. We think that we could finish anywhere in the East, that we could, you know, finish first, we could finish fifth, but we're going to be better and that we're going to be fun. Our players, if you ask them, feel like we're a playoff team and, you know, just where we're at, why not us? I mean, why can't we have a good year? we got five good stars, we got a strong pen, we've got a good everyday line. Good luck this season, John. Thanks for your time. All right, Mark. Thank you.